Well, all right, community of faith, that gets you excited? Glad you're here this morning. You know, I don't know how you feel in this new normal, but I believe God's got something really good for us, really good for America. If you're at home right now and you need to be at home because you've got like a pre-existing condition or something with one of these variants coming in, you stay home and enjoy the service. But if you're just at home so you can run to Walmart in a minute, you get up here, okay? Because it's a lot better up here, isn't it? How about that music today? That was like... You can feel it thumping in your chest. It gets you excited. It, it just sounds so much better than online. So come on up. Come home. I'm going to talk to you today out of the strangest, basically, chapter in the whole Bible. It's written by a pagan king. And as we're talking about how to be stronger, I, I want you to think with me today about um, what God is doing when you don't know what God is doing, Okay. I want you, just for a minute, imagine a steel cable is coming across right in front of me, just a big metal cable, okay? Silver cable, it goes across in front of me, it goes through the wall here, and it goes on forever that way. I mean, it goes, you know, miles down the road here, and then eventually, it goes right off the planet into outer space and just keeps on going forever and ever and ever. And then I want you to imagine that the steel cable goes that way, go through the wall, Same thing, forever and ever and ever, okay? That's God's life. Can you imagine that? I mean, it's hard enough for us to think about the future forever, but to think about a past forever, God has always been. Our little brains can't even comprehend that. He's always been, he always will be, he's always going to be. Now, I want you to imagine, I take a pocket knife and I just cut a little scratch right here, right here in the cable. There's this little scratch. That's your life and my life. We live in that scratch, you know? Now, if we're not careful, we get caught up in the scratch. The whole thing, everything's about the scratch. We get these little scratch dreams and thoughts and hopes and, you know, we can just live our whole life in the scratch, but God wants more than that for us. He wants us, he's inviting us into his life, abundant life, eternal life. And we're gonna see in this passage, the only chapter in the Bible written by a a pagan king, that's for sure, that God has something amazing because God brings this king into relationship with him. You know, God is always working. Even when we can't see him working, he's working, he's sovereign. The book of Daniel likes to use the word, he is able. You remember last week we talked about that amazing miracle as these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into the fire, the fiery furnace, the king, Nebuchadnezzar, the pagan king. uh, He was wanting them to worship his golden statue. They wouldn't do it, so he threw them in the fire. And then God works this miracle where they're not burned up, but there's a fourth person in the fire with them, which ends up, we think, is a a pre-incarnation of Jesus because he's always existed, right? He wasn't just born 2,000 years ago. That's when he came into flesh and blood, but he's always existed because he's God. And so this pagan king sees that and says, anybody who doesn't worship this God, I want you to be torn limb from limb. And everybody goes, oh, well, we'll worship then, right? Now, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, if you remember, they said, I don't know if God's gonna save us or not. 
But let me just tell you this, King, our God whom we serve is able to rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire. Daniel 3, 17. Our God whom we serve is able. And then as we look at this passage, listen to what the king, Nebuchadnezzar, says in verse 37 of Daniel chapter four. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, honor the king of heaven for all his works are true and his ways just. And he is able to humble those who walk in pride. He is able. Let me ask you a question. Do you think that all of God's ways are just? Do you think that all of God's ways, his acts are true? Maybe it doesn't feel like it this morning, but we're gonna find that that is the case. Nebuchadnezzar is gonna say in one of the strangest events of his life, he's gonna figure that out. Let me ask you a question this morning. What does the sovereign God do? What does the sovereign God do? You know what the answer is? Whatever the sovereign God wants to, right? That's what he does. He does whatever he wants to. So the question is, what does he want? And I think Nebuchadnezzar the king is going to answer that for us. So let's read through this passage and we'll hit on some of these thoughts. But this is the craziest, wildest passage in the Bible almost. Nebuchadnezzar talking, he's writing chapter four of Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar the king to all the peoples, nations, and populations, languages who live in all the earth. May your peace be great. I am pleased to declare the signs and miracles that the most high God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty are his miracles. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. His dominion is from generation to generation. So he's become a believer. How did he become a believer? Well, those of you who were here last week, you said, well, he saw that huge miracle. He saw them not burned up in the fire. Of course, that miracle did it. No, the miracle didn't do it. This passage is many years later. And he still walked with his old gods. Nothing really changed for King Nebuchadnezzar until the events that are mentioned in this passage. So how did it happen? Not in dreams, not in miracles, not in warnings. It happened as he came to the end of himself. It happened actually in insanity, we're gonna see. God literally allowed this king to go crazy. So this is what Nebuchadnezzar explains in the rest of the chapter. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and happy in my palace. Well, that didn't bring him to God either, you know. We as Americans, one of our American dreams, ease, comfort, you know, to be able to, to live at peace. And God's doing something really interesting in America right now, isn't he? Because none of that is really happening. Verse five, I saw a dream and it startled me. And these appearances as I lay on my bed and the visions in my mind kept alarming me. They're ongoing. So I, I gave orders to bring into my presence all the wise men of Babylon so they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. The soothsayer priests, the sorcerers, the Chaldeans, the diviners came in and I related the dream to them, but they could not make its interpretation known to me. But finally, Daniel came in before me, whose name is Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God, and in whom is a spirit of the holy gods. And I related the dream to him saying, Belteshazzar, chief of the soothsayer priest, since I know that a spirit of the holy gods is in you and no secret baffles you, tell me the visions of my dreams, which I have seen along with its interpretation. Now, these were the visions in my mind as I lay on my bed. I mean, he's 
Every time he lays down, every time he closes his eyes, this dream starts up again, okay? I was looking and behold, there was a tree in the middle of the earth. Its height was great. The tree grew large, became strong. Its height reached up to the sky and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its foliage was beautiful, its fruit abundant and it was food for all. The animals of the field found shade under it. The birds of the sky lived in its branches and all living creatures fed from it. I was looking in the visions in my mind as I lay on my bed and behold, an angelic watcher, a holy one, descended from heaven. Interesting that it brings up here how we're being watched by an unseen world. Did you know even now around us, there's a whole unseen world. It's called heaven. It's called eternity. And we think of it as like way up somewhere far away, but it's all around us. It's just a different dimension around us in this moment. There are watchers watching us. You have someone watching you. The watcher shouted out and spoke as follows. Chop down the tree, cut off its branches, shake off its foliage and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it, the birds from its branches, yet leave the stump with its roots in the ground, but with a band of iron and bronze around it in the grass of the new field. And this is where probably Nebuchadnezzar got scared because it says, and let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him share with the animals in the grass of the earth and let his mind change from that of a human and let an animal's mind be given to him and let seven periods of time pass over him. This sentence is the decree of the angelic watchers and the decision is a command of the holy ones in order that the living may know that the most high is ruler over the realm of mankind. He grants it to whomever he wishes and sets over it the lowliest of people. This is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now, Belteshazzar, tell me its interpretation since none of the wise men of my kingdom is able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able because a spirit of the holy gods is in you. I've seen you do this before, Daniel. I've seen you do this before, Belteshazzar. Then Daniel, whose name is Belteshazzar, that's what the king had given him a new name, was appalled for a while as his thoughts alarmed him. The, the word for a while is it, 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 an extended length of time. So the king has told Daniel the dream and Daniel is just sitting there like rocked. Why? Well, for one thing, we know how whimsical this king is, right? Just last week, we talked about how he got so mad at those three men that he heated the furnace up seven times hotter and all of his top guys in the army that were probably like, you know, his main guys, I mean, they all died throwing the men into the fire and that didn't bug Nebuchadnezzar at all. I mean, he, you never knew what he was gonna do. Like, he came into his presence, is he gonna go like, hey, off with his head or what? And here's Daniel being told something that he knows Nebuchadnezzar isn't gonna like. I think you'd be appalled too in that moment, you know? I'm appalled. And it made you even wonder, did the other soothsayers and astrologers and all that, did they really not know what the dream meant or were they going like, I don't know what that means, you know? But here's another thing about Daniel. We're gonna find out that Daniel loved the old king in spite of himself, that Daniel prayed for the old king. You know, we find out later that Daniel was praying several times a day with his window open toward Jerusalem. And so Daniel was praying that this king would know 
God. And so when he heard God's judgment coming down on the king, he's appalled. The king is the first one to respond. Quiet for how many minutes? We don't know. As Daniel's trying to gather his thoughts, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its interpretation alarm you, the king said. Belteshazzar replied, my Lord, if only the dream applied to those who hate you and its interpretation to your adversaries. He's saying, this is, this is gonna be so hard for me to tell you because this is about you. I just wish it applied to those who hated you. The tree that you saw, which became large and grew strong, whose height reached to the sky and was visible to all the earth, whose foliage was beautiful, its fruit abundant, which was food for all, the one in which under the, anim- the animals lived under it, the animals of the field, and whose branches the birds of the sky settled, it's you, O king, for you have become great and grown strong, and your majesty has become great and reached to the sky, and your dominion to the end of the earth, which is literally true. He was the ruler of the known earth, basically. And in that, the king saw an angelic watcher, a holy one, descending from heaven and saying, chop down the tree and destroy it, yet leave the stump with its roots in the ground, but with a band of iron and bronze around it in the new grass, let him be drenched with the dew of heaven, share with the animals of the field until seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. This is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord, the king, that you be driven away from mankind, your dwelling place be with the animals of the field. You be given grass to eat like cattle, be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. And in that it was commanded to leave the stump with the roots of the tree, your kingdom will remain as yours after you recognize that it is heaven that rules." Now, it's interesting here because one of the things we begin to see is that there's, there's purpose even in the, the discipline, purpose even in the punishment. Nothing is ever arbitrary with this God of ours. God doesn't act randomly. He doesn't have ADHD. He's not like looking off somewhere, oh, oh yeah, and, and just impulsively changes what's happening over here with you. He doesn't, it's not like he doesn't know what's coming into your life. In fact, I believe truly if you stepped into a relationship with him with all of your heart, nothing can come into your life unless it comes through his fingers of love. That doesn't mean that hard things won't come into your life. But if he's sovereign, then he's allowed that in some way. He didn't cause it. We have sin on the earth. We've fallen. It's a prodigal planet. It's far from God. There's plenty of things that go on here that are not God's will. That's why he said, I want you to pray for my will to come on this planet, just like it does in heaven, because it's not done very often here. And those things that are not his will, that's what hurts us, but he allows that to come into our lives through his fingers of love. He does it with precision. They're tailor-made for his children, like the precision of a spiritual surgeon. And God, in his grace, he's gonna do something in Nebuchadnezzar's life through this affliction. Now, I was actually hopeful that there'd be a stump left. That doesn't sound very hopeful, you know? And Nebuchadnezzar, they're going to change your name to Stumpy. But that's not, that, that's not a bad thing because what he's saying is there's going to be a band around it that holds it together, that keeps it from splitting apart. The kingdom's not going to divide while you're crazy. And that in itself is a miracle. 
Verse 27, therefore, O king, may my advice be pleasing to you. So he doesn't just share the dream, he shares advice. Wipe away your sins by doing righteousness and your wrongdoings by showing mercy to the poor in case there may, may be a prolonging of your prosperity. I wanna give you some advice, King Nebuchadnezzar. Would you think about you know, stepping into this relationship with God and, and beginning to do the right things, the things that God would want you to do to seek after him really hard and take care of the poor around you to realize that your kingship is really a stewardship. It's been given you by God. Now, Nebuchadnezzar didn't see it that way. He saw that he took it, you know. He did it himself. He's a self-made man, a self-made king. If Nebuchadnezzar had done what Daniel said, would this judgment still have fallen? I doubt it because God is so merciful all the time. He says, this is what's gonna happen. You remember in Jonah, he said, Jonah, the prophet, I want you to go to Nineveh and I want you to tell them that they need to turn to me or they'll be destroyed. And it says, there were 200,000 in Nineveh who didn't know their right hand from their left hand. That means they were little kids. So God was going like, I don't wanna destroy this city and 200,000 little children. I want you to go preach to them. And if they turn to me, they won't be destroyed. And, and, and Jonah didn't wanna do it because that was the enemy of Israel. you know. And he was like, yay, God, destroy them. Punch them in the gut, right? We don't, you know, just get rid of them. They've been a thorn in our side. And God finally gets him there through a lot of different circumstances and he preaches to them and they actually repent and God turns back and the prophet's angry. I knew that was gonna happen because you're a merciful God. That's why I didn't wanna go. <laughs> That's kind of interesting, right? I always think, man, God doesn't have much to work with when he comes to us, you know? It's like, send my prophet and he's going like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm so mad because you turned to God. So God saved that city. I think he would have done something like that in Nebuchadnezzar's life but Nebuchadnezzar didn't turn. Verse 28, all of this happened to Nebuchadnezzar the king. 29, 12 months later, so God's patient. It's been 12 months. God's waited again for the king to have a change of heart and he's walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. Looking over the city of Babylon, he's just struck by how beautiful and the magnificence of it and he built it all, he did. I mean. He had put it together. It was the largest and most powerful city that had ever existed on the planet up until that time. The city was a perfect square, 15 miles squared. There were all these streets, 12 gates, jeweled dragons on them, all kinds of things that, that each represented one of the gods of, of the Babylonians. And the population of the city was like a million two hundred thousand, which was a lot back in that day. It was the biggest city by far in the whole world. And not only that, it was surrounded by this beautiful moat that was like a river that he had built that protected it. So they had to drop the, you know, the drawbridge kind of down over the river to, to get in so enemies couldn't get in. He had built in the middle of the city the first air conditioning system. And you say, well, what are you talking about? Well, he built, it's called the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. Maybe you've heard of it. The Greeks said it was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. One of his wives was from a, a land further away that was cooler and higher. And she didn't, Babylon is in Iraq, modern day Iraq. And she was like, it's too hot here. So he built this mountain in the middle. He put all of these different kinds of vegetation and things that hung down, water dripping down through. And how many of you have heard of a swamp cooler? You heard of a swamp cooler? About three of us, yeah. 
they're big in Denver where my kids live. Here, they don't work so good. It's, it's this thing that like the water drips down through instead of an air conditioner. A lot of the houses have a swamp cooler. And we don't need that here because we're on a swamp, right? And it doesn't get any cooler. But it drops down through, and when the, if it's really dry air, it actually drops the temperature down 30, 40 degrees down from what it was. It's crazy. And um, it's an amazing thing. And he had developed that in Babylon. So here he's got that. The city's surrounded by a wall 350 feet high. Can you imagine? 35 stories high, the wall. 87 feet wide, four chariots could race across the top of it. And he's just done all of these amazing things. And so he looks at that and he's walking on the roof of the royal palace and he begins speaking to himself. And he says, is this not Babylon the great, which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty. Oh my, that's a lot of my's, isn't it? So we can see that he's still all about himself, but he didn't even get that sentence out. It says, while the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven. Not good, right? (laughs) You're talking about how great you are and all of a sudden a voice overrides you from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared sovereignty has been removed. Boom, in that moment, sovereignty removed. You'll be driven away from mankind. Your dwelling place will be at the animals of the field. You'll eat grass like cattle. Seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. Immediately, the word concerning Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from mankind, began eating grass like cattle. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. So he goes insane. He goes insane. And right at that moment, he just went insane. And he couldn't even talk anymore. He couldn't even think like a person anymore. Something in his brain just moved. And he was insane. Out of his mind. Now, some say that they probably put him in, you know, one of the, they had these huge gardens. Not just the hanging gardens, but these huge, you know, many uh, mile square gardens in the middle of Babylon, they probably put him in one of those walled gardens. So, you know, and try to keep it quiet that the king has gone completely bonkers. But he's out there. He doesn't even know he's a person. He won't eat food. He only eats grass. There's a condition that psychologists tell, tell us about, and, and it's called boanthropomorphism. And um, basically, it's like when you don't realize that you're not a you know, like a cow or an ox or something like that. And it's a really unusual thing, but this is something like this happened to him, okay? And he's just off. Now, I think pride is always a form of insanity for us human beings. Even, I mean, he was already insane before he went insane, right? Because when you think about sanity, that's seeing life as it truly is. And pride causes you not to do that because Life as it truly is, God's in control. He's sovereign. If you're a leader in any area, it's a stewardship. It's a gift that he's given you. You say, no, no, my intellect gave it. Well, he gave you the intellect. My hands, he gave you the hands. He put it all together and he even, you know, even those lucky breaks you had are not lucky breaks. God engineered it 
to give you a stewardship. He gave you a, a chance to care about people, and he's the one that did it. So I think sanity has seen that clearly. <laughs> I heard about a young woman who asked for an appointment with her pastor, and she was gonna tell him about this terrible sin of pride in her life, and so he meets with her, and she says, Pastor, Pastor, I just, I just need to repent of pride. I just can't get it out of my life. And he said, what do you mean? She says, well, I come to church, and I look around at all the other women, and I'm just so much more beautiful than they. I just... I mean, it's just ridiculous how much more beautiful I am than everyone. And the pastor says, um, that's not pride. Um, I need you to know that's delusion. We need to get you a psychiatrist, okay? I don't know if she came back to church or not. But there's this sense, I think, in which success can breed like an insanity. I, you think about how the world considers success and you know, a person that I think of a lot because when I was young, and it dates me, when I was a teenager and, uh, you know, Thriller and all that came out, you know, and it's like this crazy, there was a God, basically. We had a God that we raised up named Michael Jackson, you know? And I mean, he was like a God of my generation. In fact, he was so lifted up so high that there was no place for him to go but just into kind of a, everybody going, you know, kind of almost making fun of him, like a parody of himself, which he helped along, you know, by taking his nose off and stuff like that. But, but you look at that and, and you're going like, what happened to Michael Jackson? And all of a sudden he's a parody of himself and he's got all these things going on. And, and, and then finally he does try to make a comeback and dies because he can't even sleep at night. He's having to be anesthetized to go to sleep. You, you begin to look at that and it's like, these people that made it, you could just go person after person after person and that's the story of Nebuchadnezzar. Martin Luther in the Middle Ages, he said, the story of every man and every woman apart from God is that we are curved in on ourselves, that the world rotates around us and fame aggravates that condition. Well, let's look and see what happened. So seven periods of time, most scholars think that seven years, can you imagine? eating grass for seven years, 34, verse 34. At the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven. Now, here's what's interesting. He had enough inside of his brain to know that God was disciplining him and he wouldn't raise his eyes up toward heaven. He refused to do so. That's all he could do. He couldn't talk. He couldn't do anything else, but finally, after seven years, he raises his eyes toward heaven. And here's the amazing thing. When he raised his eyes toward heaven, and that's all he could do, he must have been a mess. Think about that. You know, Howard Hughes, they said, the, the great billionaire that, that went totally insane, and, and they would find him like he was a recluse, stayed away from people for years, and when people finally would see him, he would have his fingernails were corkscrewed out. They had grown so long. That's Nebuchadnezzar. He hadn't shaved, taken a bath, cut his hair in seven years. You know, I mean, just imagine what a mess he looked like, but he raises his eyes toward God. And the amazing thing, God's just waiting for that. God's just waiting for him to lift his eyes just a little bit to him. And he says this, 
when I raised my eyes toward heaven, my reason returned to me and I blessed the most high and praised and honored him who lives forever for his dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are of no account. He does according to his will among the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth. No one can fend off his hand. No one can say, what have you done? At that time, my reason returned to me and my majesty and splendor were restored to me for the honor of my kingdom and my state counselors, my nobles began seeking me out. So I was reestablished in my sovereignty and surpassing greatness actually was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the king of heaven for all his works are true and his ways just, and he is able to humble those who walk in pride. Wow, what a story. And you know, some of us were going like, yeah, you get him, God, you show him, God. This is not a revenge story. It's a love story. You see that? The king of heaven pursuing, never giving up on his prideful little boy. It reminds me of the story Jesus told about the prodigal, the prodigal son. You remember the story Jesus told it? He said, he said there was this boy and he got to be a man and he said, daddy, give me my inheritance now. I don't respect you. I don't honor you. I don't honor God. I want my inheritance now. I'm gonna leave and live my own life the way I wanna live it. So his father gives him his inheritance and he goes to a foreign land and he spends his money on liquor and prostitutes and he has a bunch of friends till his money runs out. And then he's got nothing. And then he ends up in a pig pen. He's gonna feed the pigs for some money and he's so hungry that he looks at the slop and he's thinking, oh, I think I might eat some of that. And then it says he comes to his senses, Jesus said. He came to his senses and said, a servant's treated better in my father's house. I just need to go back and tell him, I'm sorry I've sinned against God and against you and, and, and just take me on as a servant from now and I'll be your slave, not a son. I don't deserve to be a son. And you remember as he's coming back and he gets on the horizon. His father's been standing there day after day, watching, 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 watching for him. And his father sees him. And the boy is, he must have looked a mess. But the father's running to him, embracing him, pulling him back. I've just been waiting on you, my son. Welcome home. Some years ago, Benny Hester wrote a song called When God Ran, and he said, in the, in the song, he says, I've never seen God run. He's the omnipotent, powerful God. The only time I ever saw him run was when he ran to me, took my head in his hands, said, my son's come home again. He lifted my face and he, he held me close. That's who God is. See, God knows that pride is the original sin. It's the ultimate love killer. Pride will kill your marriage and all your relationship. Talked to, to a guy some years ago and ran into him again not too long ago. And I, I had told him when I was sharing with him, he and his wife, he, he said, I'm gonna stand on this because I know I'm right. She's wrong, I'm right. And I will stand on this. And it was just, this thing was destroying their marriage. And, and I told him, I said, I'm not saying that you're not right. There, there's some things about that, that you are right. But if you hold on to this, you're gonna be the most right, most lonely man in the world. When I ran into him a while back, he goes, you were right. I lost her. 
Five years ago, I lost her, and I'm so lonely. And I said, I told you so, and walked. No, I didn't do that. I hugged him up, but I was going like, oh, come on, man. We can do this. Let's keep going, you know. But it's so interesting. Daniel, in chapter 2 of, of Daniel, he said, God changes times and periods of history. He removes kings and establishes them. He gives wisdom to those who are wise and knowledge to those who have insight. He reveals deeply hidden things. He knows what's in the dark. The light lives with him. He says, I am sovereign. And God, this sovereign God, he hates pride. Jesus' half-brother, James, who wrote a little book at the end of the New Testament, tells us why. He says this, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And that Greek word, opposed, it means sets himself in battle array against. God armors up against pride. He hates it so much that he goes to battle against it but he gives grace to the humble. God loves to give grace. See, there's, there, there's one condition for grace, humility. Why did God choose to humble Nebuchadnezzar? Why, why, why after all this time? I think it's because Daniel wouldn't stop praying for the old king, and God answers prayer. Maybe there's someone in your life, you know, they're just, they just won't come to God. They're just too proud to come to God. Don't stop praying for them. God's not done with them yet, okay? God's not finished yet. He says, if you'll ask me anything according to my will, I'll hear you. Keep praying, keep on praying, keep on praying. There's a love story between the God of heaven and a prideful prodigal, a love story between a a praying friend and a self-made man. I wonder, is there another love story going on right now? Is there a love story going on right now between an arrogant America and a loving father? I mean, something's going on. Something's happening. This new normal, what is this? This is not normal. Have you ever seen anything like this in all your born days, right, as my dad would say? No. He told me before he passed, he goes, I've never What's going on? I mean, something deep is happening right now. Is it a love story? Is it a, a father trying to draw an arrogant country back to himself? You see, when the king walked in ease and prosperity, he was fine. But all of a sudden, insanity. What do the angelic watchers see when they look at us in America? Maybe you're here today and and you find yourself in a really bad place. Maybe you just feel like you've come to the end of yourself. You see, that's what happens when God is working, especially if you're hard-headed. And most of us are pretty hard-headed. Don't, don't point people out, okay? But hard-headed. And God brings us to the end of ourselves You know why I know he's doing that in America a lot? Because the suicide rate is skyrocketing. Even from preteens all the way through people in old folks' homes. It's skyrocketing. And that's man's way out. That's not what God intended. He says, I'm gonna bring you to the end of yourself till there's nowhere to look but up. And now just look up. 
and I'll meet you. If you feel suicidal this morning, maybe you're sitting at home. If you feel suicidal, I just tell you, God's getting ready to do a miracle if you'll let him. Don't take that way out. Turn to him, look up to him, come to the end of yourself and see what he wants to do. And the most amazing things can begin to happen. Years ago, I read a a children's book about a little caterpillar named Stripe. And um, I don't remember it totally well, but I'm gonna kind of remember it for you as best I can. But Stripe is, you know, just walking around, doing what caterpillars do, eating leaves and hanging out. But he keeps thinking, I know I was made for more. I I think I was made to soar. I was made for the heights, you know? And he looks over and he, he sees this pillar that goes up into the sky. And he's like, that's intriguing. So he goes, and you know what? It's a pillar made out of caterpillars, a caterpillar pillar. I mean, it's only caterpillars on top of each other piled up. It goes all the way up past the clouds. And he looks to someone that's there at the bottom and he goes, what's at the top? And they said, I don't know, but it must be amazing because everyone's trying to get there. And he goes, well, I want to get there too. And what he realized to get there, you had to stomp on other caterpillars. You had to kind of, you know, stomp on their heads to get up there. So he's doing his thing, but he made a mistake about halfway up. He stomped on the head of this pretty little yellow caterpillar. And as she winced, he stopped and looked in her eyes and he saw her as a person for a second. And they both looked at each other and they were like, what are we doing? I don't know. So Stripe and the little yellow caterpillar decided to get back down and they kind of went off and, and they just tried to live apart from that and, you know, did a lot of hugging and all this, you know, and just did like caterpillar hugs. I don't know what that looks like. But they had a good time for a while, and, but then Stripe was just getting restless again. And he goes, what's at the top? I know I'm made for more. And he says, Yellow, come on, we can do this. Let's go up together. And she says, I'm not getting back into that. I'm not getting back into that stuff. So Stripe left her. Now this time, Stripe, when he got back, he was ruthless. I mean, he wasn't mean. He, he wasn't nasty but he was ruthless. I mean, he was making his way to the top, stomping on heads like crazy. And he was moving up fast. Well, little yellow is wandering around and she comes upon this other caterpillar up on a branch and he's building something around himself. And she says, what are you doing? He said, I'm building a cocoon. And she said, well, what's that? She goes, he said, well, in order to do it, you kind of have to die to your caterpillar dreams and your caterpillar hopes. And your caterpillar self, actually, you die. And she said, well, that doesn't sound good. He goes, yeah, but you're reborn. It's what the creator intended for you to be, a beautiful butterfly. And she had heard of butterflies, kind of made her heart beat fast. And she's thinking about it, but she's thinking, I don't want to die, you know. And finally, she decides to go for it. And so she builds the cocoon around her as time passes and Little yellow dies to herself. She comes out, this beautiful creature. The wings puff up and they're just the most beautiful yellow wings of this butterfly that looks like a little buttercup flying around. And she starts to fly. And the first thing she thinks about is Stripe. And she flies over to the caterpillar pillar and Stripe is right at the top. I mean, he's just about to get up there, but he and all the other ones, they realize, they said, we're almost there. But the people at the top are stopping us 
What are we going to do? And someone said, if we all join together, we can take them off the top. It's called a revolution. Let's do it. So they were getting ready to do it when yellow comes up to stripe and tells him about a whole different way. And he says, I want to go that way. So she grabs him and takes him away. And then the others do their little revolution and knock all the other caterpillars off who fall to their deaths. Quite a children's story. And um, that's why I remember it so well. And here's one as they're flying off into the distance. Is this all there is? But he goes and she teaches him about the cocoon and about dying to himself. And he does the same thing. And he comes out this beautiful monarch like the creator intended him to be. And he does soar and he does go to the clouds and he does go to the heavens and he sees a whole different way. I want you just to close your eyes for a minute. Are you in that story anywhere? Are you trying to make it to the top, clawing and fighting and running over people and doing whatever it takes? It's not going to be the answer. It's going to come up empty. Nebuchadnezzar figured that out. You see, God has a whole other way. But the only way is you die. You die to your little scratch life and your little scratch dreams and you step into the plan of the one whose history is his story it's unfolding just like he intended for it to do is it wrapping up now maybe something's going on or is it just america maybe he's just trying to pull america you see i'm your pastor and i feel like it's my i just feel like things are going to get a little rough I'm sorry, I wish I could say something different. I just don't feel it. I feel like some rough times might be coming. We already have them. Some of you are in it right now. But God's pulling America back to himself. It's time to step in. Maybe you're here and you feel suicidal and he's going like, no, not that way, my way. Just look up, look up. I'm here, I'll meet you here. And you step into what he did for you. See, every other religion is trying to reach him through our efforts. Christianity is God saying, you'll never get to me. You have to be perfect and sinless. You can't do it. So I'll step down into history and open a way. I'll die for you. Receive it, receive it. I know it's hard to understand in our human minds. Step into what Christ did for you. I want that relationship. God, I want whatever Mark's talking about right now. That's good enough. He'll hear you. It's not a magic formula prayer. Whatever Mark's saying, and I'm willing to do whatever it takes. Maybe there's friends around you. People are more open than they've ever been. They see their mortality right in their face. They've all had friends and loved ones and maybe even in their immediate family who've passed because of the COVID and they're open right now. They're scared right now. They're wondering, there's gotta be something more. Something's going on. It's not just random. We have a loving father who's speaking to an arrogant little country, his little sons and daughters and saying, 
I want you back. And I'll do whatever it takes. I'll do whatever it takes to have you back. Turn to me and be saved. All the ends of the earth. Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you for this place. Father, I believe that your hand is on us. I believe that your heart is for us. And even those of us who feel like you're a million miles away, if we'll just turn around, we'll find that you're right there, that you followed us down through all of this to this very moment. When we tell our friends and our coworkers and those we love, or just invite them to church and say, come and, and, and hear what, I mean, God's doing something good and it gives you courage and it makes a change. As we do those things, just bless those efforts like crazy. Give us courage. We're your little sons and daughters. Some right now are stepping into that relationship for the very first time. Thank you for that. Thank you for what you're doing in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen.